Well, it's so great to be here again. As Tamil mentioned, yeah, my parents were founding members of this church. And I remember this church even before this building when we met in this public school. Um, but one of my prominent memories I remember is uh, I had pulled uh, during the service the fire alarm. And uh, everybody freaked out and it didn't go well at all. It was a, a bad thing to do. Um, and I remember this building too. I got in a lot of trouble in this, t- this, this building as well. But uh, a lot of fond memories. It's uh, coming back here, yeah, the, where I, I, I learned to know Jesus. I remember driving home from Simcoe. Like we, I grew up in Port Rowan, just an, uh, 20 minutes from here. I remember giving my life to Jesus as a kid, uh, driving back. So the, the spiritual formation in my own life from this community is, uh, is profound. And it's so great to be in partnership now. So I'm really, yeah, glad that we were able to connect at the right time this summer and uh, to partner together uh, in mission together globally. I want to talk a little bit from the story of of Jesus turning water into wine in John chapter 2. I'm using this story to kind of frame um, my sermon this morning, and also I will be sharing a bit about our work in Germany as well through this story. For me, the Bible helps me make sense of my own life, but also our ministry, and I think it will be better that way to connect with you as well, so you can understand the heart and the mission and the vision that we have uh, for our ministry in, in Germany. Um, as Tamil said, yes, I'm married to, to Carla, and we have four children. There's a picture of them. Um, unfortunately, they're unable to be here with me this morning. Uh, they were here for Christmas, but they had to fly back uh, for school on the 8th of January, and in Germany... Yeah, you, they don't really allow kids to leave school very often. You have to go through this huge bureaucratic process to get permission for them to be out of school for a little bit. Otherwise, you could get fined. And it's just a different culture there. But uh, they're getting a good education, I guess. <laughs> but here they are. So that's Carla in the middle with me. And then, um, uh, I guess, going from uh, right to left, there's Sophia, Jackson, Olivia, and Jordan. And they're all, they're all teenagers now uh, going to school in uh, the city of Dortmund. Does anyone know where Dortmund is? Has anyone heard of this city? No? Wow. What about Cologne? Okay, Cologne. So it's about an hour away from Cologne. It's actually only a couple hours away from, two and a half hours or so away from Amsterdam as well, on the, the northwest side of Germany. And uh, it's very well known for a soccer team and that type of thing. And I'll share a little bit about that more as we go along. Let's start with scripture. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Um, Oh yeah, thank you. (laughs) On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. In this story, what we see here, of course, I mean, Jesus is attending a wedding. It's the very beginning of his public ministry in the Gospel of John. And uh, in other Gospels, it records him going to the wilderness and, you know, the temptations. And then he, he's baptized and he's starting his, his ministry. But in the Gospel of John, one of the first stories of Jesus that we have is actually at a wedding where perhaps it's a family connection. We see his mother kind of seems to be in the know behind the scenes of this appending crisis of running out of wine. And he's there with his disciples. And yeah, there's this crisis. There's this problem happening at this, this, this wedding. They're running out of wine. And for the first century Jewish culture that praised and, and valued hospitality so much, this is a real crisis. Because it's the expectation of the host in this culture to provide for all the needs of their guests. 
and especially at a, in a significant event like a wedding where people are coming together, uh, covenanting together, a celebration of two families being united and so forth, uh, it would be a huge shame on this family if they ran out of wine and were unable to provide for the guests. And they're in crisis mode and Jesus' mother, is in, uh, she sees this and she's, you know, uh, jumping to action here and she's going to recruit her son, you know, to help her. And Jesus responds to her. Now, I wouldn't talk to my mother that way. Um, maybe I have in the past, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't publicly say I would. But it's Jesus. He can say what he wants. But we see here in the story, I mean, he says, my hour has not yet come. And so, you know, th there's more going on in the story than, than just running out of wine, I think. This, this language of hours is very significant. He's, he's really talking about, like, the purpose of which he's, he has come into the world uh, to address a deeper crisis, uh, a deeper crisis of spiritual poverty. What does it mean for the Son of God, for God to come in the flesh, the Word made flesh, to address the deeper crisis of spiritual emptiness, running out of steam, if you will, spiritually? I mean, I even think here in this passage, there could be even allusions to like Jesus being the fulfillment of the Jewish tradition, right? We'll get, that, we'll get to that in a little bit as well when, when we see he's like um, filling up these jars of, of, uh, with water. But he's addressing a, a deeper spiritual problem. And I think the Gospel of John is subtly addressing this. Um, and we will see that too in the next story when, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And he's talking about the necessity of rebirth. You know, unless you are touched by heaven, unless you are touched from above, um, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And what does it mean for us in our natural selves? We are, you know, we are created in our natural selves, and that's good. But what does it mean for us to become who we truly are? What does it mean for us to become who, we, who God intended for us to be? That is an underlying question here. So I think that underneath here, this story, yeah, it's stressing this problem of, you know, this impending crisis of running out of wine at this party. But on a deeper level, it's addressing a spiritual emptiness, pointing to a deeper problem of our human condition that has been corrupted by sin, spiritual emptiness. Why are we in, in Dortmund, Germany? People have asked me that. Why, why would we go to a Germ Germany, uh, you know, a so-called uh, developed country as a missionary? Why would we send you know, people there? And the answer to that question is that we are there to address the spiritual crisis of people. Spiritual poverty, if you will. Of course, there's, there's economic poverty in Germany as well like there is in Canada, but there's a profound also spiritual poverty at work here. Of course, culturally, Germany is a very uh, rich Christian nation. I mean, it goes, the, the, the story, the history of Christianity goes back over a thousand years. And then we think of Martin Luther and the Reformation and all, the, all these things. Uh, but it is a fact that in the last 200 years, the decline of faith in Germany, but also in the wider European countries, and I would also say in North America, uh, that faith is in decline, and the church is also in decline. And even in my, my city of Dortmund, I mean, even in the last number of months, there's been articles written in the newspapers about this crisis, about what to do with these cathedrals and buildings that are, are now empty. Um, and I, yeah, the decline of faith. I study, uh, I have studied the, uh, the German philosopher, um, Friedrich Nietzsche, 
Perhaps you have heard of him in the 19th century. He's a very influential philosopher, and he's the one who, who talked about the death of God in Western culture. And what he meant by that was the, the, the decline of faith, that we've exhausted talking about God and, the, and, and, the, and faith in our culture so much that it is meaningless, and people are now not, no longer persuaded by a worldview that's shaped by the biblical worldview and by, by the Christian story. And we are in this process of now, you know, filling the gap of this hole with other things. And he saw this impending crisis of this emptiness, knowing that still humans, even despite the rejection of God, even if they might say they're agnostic or atheist or whatever, that they still have this innate desire for transcendence. So for something bigger, to, to connect with something bigger in their life, a, a bigger purpose, a bigger connection. And the, the thing he saw was, what are those things that we're going to fill that with in our lives? In this, this God hole, if you will, if we take God out of our, our lives. And his, his answer to, the pro, to this problem was, okay, that means if there is no God and we still want this transcendence, then the answer to that means we need to create it. We need to define it for ourselves. We need to create our own values and our own good and evil, if you will. And I mean, that's pretty philosophical where I'm going here, right? But when we look around in our culture, is that not what we see? For example, when I, I, I've been there in Dortmund now for five years, and my job is making connections with people, hearing their stories, trying to get to know them. And what is the spiritual crisis at, at work in their life? What is the, the deeper need in their life? And I talked to a friend of mine who is a, he's a, an engineer, and he works for the Deutsche Bahn. That's the, um, the train system in, in Germany. Has a good job, stable income, all of these things. But as I get to know him and I talk to him, he's asking questions like, what, is there more to life? You know, is this all there is? Like, I've been giving my whole life to just getting the, the good education and the good job and the material comfort and all of these things, but I'm, you know, there's still something missing in his life. Is there, is there not more to it? Um, or I think of another friend of mine who has become a very close friend, and every year we go on hikes throughout uh, Germany, and he, he's helping me with the language and giving me, like, he has a passion for the history of his nation and so forth. And he would consider himself a humanist. Uh, he doesn't necessarily disbelieve in God, but he's a humanist. That means he has a huge value of humanity and justice. He's by profession a geneticist, a scientist, and so he's given his life to helping humanity through the sciences. But then when we, we, we sit down and we talk about God and who is God and the meaning of God, he would say, yeah, I, I can have a, a, a respect for Jesus, and I, and I love the idea of love of neighbor and helping each other. But I just do not understand how it is possible that one person could be the salvation for all humanity. Like, how is it possible that the death and resurrection of Jesus could be, like, cover the sins of every human being who ever lived? That makes zero sense to me. And so it raises more questions about what is sin and what is evil and how are we, you know, how have we been affected by this? The deeper spiritual crisis in our lives. That we have been created for our creator. We have been created for God. But... Somehow sin has bent us, bent our will that we resist our true nature. And that's how I define sin. That's how I understand it. It's the denial of who we truly are. It's a denial of our creator and so forth. And this is the underlying spiritual crisis that we are called to address uh, in our city. 
And in Dortmund as well, like I mentioned, it's a soccer city. So it's a city of about 600,000 people, an extremely populated part of Germany, like millions and millions of people. Uh, cities like all kind of interconnected. It's kind of, think GTA. Um, and in our city too, like there, there, it's been in a transition the last, uh, I would say, 50 to 60 years. It was at one point very dependent on the, the coal and steel industry, but it's kind of transitioned out of that for ecological reasons and other financial reasons, and it's a, it's a city in transition. And it's also trying to fill things in its life. And it's, the, the people there have a passion for soccer, passion for soccer. It has the biggest stadium uh, in Germany and the third biggest in, uh, in Europe for a soccer stadium. It holds 80,000 people. I've been there, it's like electric. Like it's just like people, like grassroots fans, passionate. Um, but they call the stadium the temple. And I actually went to this, uh, this talk uh, uh, in November with a fellow church planner of mine where they talked about the, 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 the significance of soccer in this region. And they, they were speaking about it in religious terms, like the kind of void that it's filling for people's lives, um, finding a bigger purpose for their life, something that unites them, something that gets them excited, you know, and brings them together. And, it's, and it forms a, a crucial part of the identity of people in the city. And so how can we bring a message of that it is actually in Jesus, it's actually in the gospel, that we become our true selves? That, that, that deep inner lying need that we have for something bigger, for transcendence, for identity, all of these things comes only through Jesus. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing each holding from 80 to 120 liters. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out some water and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. When I read this story, I like to put myself in the shoes of the servants. Could you imagine being at this wedding, seeing this crisis, seeing like, you know, the problem that's happening here, and everybody's scurrying around trying to figure out some kind of solution. And then hearing Jesus' mother say to Jesus, like, do something. And now Jesus saying, okay, fill up these jars. He's looking around, what can I use? <laughs> what can I use to solve this problem? He sees these jars and he says, fill them up with water and, and just take them out. Can you imagine? Like, if, if things didn't go as they did, like, you know, when you're, you know, if you're a certain, you go to a restaurant and there's something going wrong in a restaurant, who gets the, the, the brunt of the, the, the complaint at first? It's the servers. <laughs> the, the, the cooks and everyone can hide in the back, but it's the servers who are going to get, you know, in trouble. Here they are coming under the, the, the command of Jesus here to fill the, this, this, these jars up with water. And we don't know when uh, the water transformed. Like, did they see that it was transformed? It was wine, and so they could go out with confidence. Did it happen as they were carrying it out? Or did it happen as they were putting, you know, as people were putting, you know, the, the cup to their lips, so to speak? But what I want to highlight here is, like, um, on a deeper level, is this, the kind of risk that it takes to be under the command of Jesus. Um, to take that risk and trust Okay, trusting that this person, and maybe they had a little bit of knowledge of Jesus at this time. Maybe Mary had told them about his son or something like that. We don't know. 
but the, the, the kind of trust necessary to like take this water and go out with the possibility, the real possibility of being shamed. And they do it. That's the last part of this verse here. They did so. They actually acted on it. They, they did what Jesus asked them to do, uh, not knowing exactly perhaps what the outcome would be. And I kind of liken our, our own calling to that to some extent, filling up the jars. Um, it was five years ago when Carl and I felt the tug to, to go to have, start a new ministry somewhere. I was working as a pastor in Kitchener, uh, Kitchener Midnight Brethren Church, which is now WMB, which is actually where Jeff is now. So I, I was with Jeff uh, a week and a half ago or so. We're still part of that community in some ways. And I was serving at this church, and uh, after 11 years, and Carl and I just felt stirred. We just felt kind of released from our ministry there, and just kind of open-handed, Lord, like, where are you calling us? And uh, because of my studies and everything, I was very interested in a Western context, and being called to, to Germany, and uh, the, the Multiply, the, the leaders of Multiply invited us to the city in Dortmund. But we didn't go alone. We went with our, our team here. Can you go to the next slide? We went uh, with our team here. I'm not going to mention all these names right now, but uh, you can see there's a team of eight of us, and we all moved to uh, Dortmund, well, six of us in 2019, and then uh, the two girls in the middle beside my wife, Carla, there uh, in 2020 as a church planting team. And uh, we are the only Canadians on the team. The others are all from Germany, so well, except for Johanna, who's right in the middle wearing the white T-shirt. She's from Paraguay, but had been working in Germany. And I, I liken ourselves to the servants, like really, you know, we have our ideas, we have our vision, we have our strategies and our training and all that kind of thing. But we really did feel like, okay, Jesus, under, coming under the command of Jesus, going into this new country with what we had, these natural jars of water. Because we are who we are. We are like that water. We are, you know, we, we come with our strengths and our talents, but also our weaknesses our shortcomings, our sins. We come in our natural state wanting to be obedient, wanting to come under the command of the Spirit, of the promptings of Jesus, and go in faith. But when it comes down to it, we really have no clue what the result will be. You go in this faith, right? We, we raise these funds to go there and so forth, but like getting there, we have to learn language, we have to get to know people. It's just starting basically from scratch with our team at least. And that's how we, how we kind of felt. It's, it was just like, let's go, let's do this. But we're, we're holding these jars, but we don't really know what's going to happen. You know, we don't really know. You're out of control, really. And you really have to trust Jesus and the call. Like, if he's called, then do it. You know, let's just go with it. And so we've all been there now for five years. And um, as a team, we've, I think, really grown as a team, and we've grown in trust as a team, and we also have seen, you know, God at work, and I'm going to get into that in a second. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best to last. What we see highlighted in this story is the surprise. 
yeah, water is turned into wine, and it's better than what they were drinking before. And the master of the ceremony is like genuinely surprised by this. And he's like, what's going on here? Like, how, is, how have you waited all night to bring this out, this good stuff? And what does this say about, well, number one, Jesus, but who God is, you know? The kind of God that would, uh, you know, help us to avoid a crisis that could bring this family into shame. A God, of course, who is Lord over the natural world to transform things like water into wine. And a God who would, you know, lavish, do more than what is expected. A God who would overflow, a God who would be so extravagant to give the best. I see in this story an expression of the joy, the joy of discovering the new life that we can have in God, the kind of God that we serve, the kind of God of the gospel. God is a God of extravagance. God is a God of fullness. He is full of his grace and mercy and love toward us. He does not want to see us put to shame or live in shame or under the burden of guilt. He wants to see us liberated and free. He wants to make us happy in some ways, right? Even in our suffering, he wants us to be joyful people. And he's a God who can do that. He can bring this out through miraculous transformation. And again, as I've been reading the story on multiple levels, it's not just about the water into wine, but it's, it's about pointing to the hour, the particular hour of who Jesus is and what he will do for us. Later, it, in um, chapter 6, Jesus will be talking about, to his disciples and he will say, he will say unless you, you know, drink my blood, eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have no life in me. And this wine points to the blood. It points to the lavish love of God the Father who gave his only begotten Son that whoever would turn to him in trust and faith would not perish but experience true life. The joy of true living life, the living God in the flesh. Because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. Because God divested himself on the cross for all humanity. He was resurrected in power and in joy in order that we might experience new life. And new life to the full. That we can be filled with the life of God, the eternal, here and now. That we can know who we are and what we've been created for, that we can know our true destiny as individuals, as persons, but also as communities, as nations, as cultures. God has come to fill and transform all of that through the death and resurrection of Jesus. He talked to the Samaritan woman in chapter 4, right? Like this well of living water that, that we can experience that comes up through our soul as we receive God's living power and presence in our lives. This is something for the here and now. It goes for all eternity, but God's eternal, and he's filled with an eternal love that is a wellspring that goes for eternity. It never runs out. It's extravagant. God is a God of surplus, and it's for us. That's the kind of good news we want to bring to people who are desperately looking for something more in their life and greater purpose and meaning and transcendence and identity or whatever it might mean. 
for them in their lives. And by God's grace, we've been able to see, I guess, in some ways, water transform to wine, new life in our ministry in Dortmund. Um, in the beginning, we started just, my wife and I just started learning German, going to German classes, and just meeting people and making connections. And some, some of those people were believers as well. And we invited them into our home, starting a Bible study. And then our other colleagues uh, and teammates, uh, Benny and Franzi Hamann, they also started a group in their home. And then after about a, nine months or so, we realized, okay, we've got a group, they've got a group, let's put them together. <laughs> and we started meeting monthly uh, for services in our apartment. We have a two-story apartment, and the top story is kind of like a larger loft idea, so that we could actually fit up to 20, 30 people in there. And we just started meeting uh, regularly and um, just kind of inviting and building up the team and seeing people coming to Jesus. And uh, five years later, we are now renting a space. We're around 60 to 70 people and uh, meeting every, every Sunday now. And uh, we're trying to bring this gospel of new life. And for example, with the picture of the woman here in the, in the, in the, on the screen, that's Marla. And uh, she was baptized in summer, or uh, in spring, just this last year. And uh, she's from Dortmund, born and raised there. And uh, she met my son, Jackson. And uh, now they are an item. <laughs> uh, so that's one way to reach out, right? <laughs> Send your kids out there. And uh, yeah, make some friends. Um, but, um, and she had grown up in the state church of Germany. She had grown up in this, like, not that she was attending, but she was, you know, baptized as an infant. Uh, she, her, her family might go on Easter, whatever, a cultural connection to, to the church. Uh, but when she met Jackson and then, like, our family and our church and stuff, she came and she recognized there's something different here. There's a different vibe. And she was very curious. And, um, of course, we, we talked about Jesus and uh, the living relationship that we can have with God intimately. And then she took a gap year after she graduated and she went to South Germany uh, to work on a farm and working with animals, like therapeutically with kids and that type of thing. And uh, she had a chance to reflect on this. And while she was there, she gave her life to Jesus. And then she came back after about six months and she's like, I want to be baptized. So she's like a, a true Anabaptist. Um, and we didn't force her. <laughs> it's like This was her choice and her, her parents actually were very supportive of it. And uh, we want to see more people like Marla come to Jesus. And she, in her testimony, and I have permission to share this, um, she talked about how there was always something missing in her life. In German, it's the word locker, means a gap, something, something missing. And, and uh, it wasn't as if she was uh, an atheist. She had a, a belief in God, but there was still something that was missing. And she would seek to, to satisfy this with for, like this af need for affirmation for who she was by seeking like really good grades and having her parents praise her or seeking the attention of boys or whatever it might be. But it wasn't until she met Jesus that she really felt something st stir in her spirit and in her soul and something was satisfied there. And that's amazing. That is water turned into wine. In our church as well, we are now trying to like go deeper into discipleship with people. And we are kind of, now that the church is uh, kind of founded, we're now shifting to what does it mean to equip people, to disciple people so that we can grow as a church. And this is a picture of, our, of a life group we started in summer and that kind of an action shot. Um, 
there was little Oscar. He was born in, in uh, October, I believe it was. They're kind of celebrating the, the, the new birth of a, a baby in our community. And uh, this has been a real joy because when we come to Jesus and we experience this new life, we do so together in community. It's, God, is, God is building a family, a spiritual family that's united in Jesus. And we, res- we, we are encouraged with the life of the Spirit in community. It's not just an isolated experience that we have in faith. It's something that we genuinely experience in community as we minister to one another and encourage one another in the faith. And we want to do this with the people in our church and extend the table, if you will, extend the party and the wine to others in our city through community. And we've just recently formulated, reformulated our vision as a church. It's a Zuhause für alle, wo Gott präsent ist. And that means we want to be a home. We want to be a home for everyone where God is present. And that's what we're seeing in our city. People are looking for connection. They're looking for something more. Um, perhaps it's the last couple of years with the pandemic has highlighted this need more. Uh, the war in Iraq, or um, the war in Iraq, war in Ukraine, for example. Like there's instability going on and people are looking for, where, where, you know, what am I a part of? What, what's, what's going on here? And so we've noticed that people are looking for connection, they're looking for community, uh, they're looking for a home to belong to, because our city is actually very diverse, it's not just Germans, um, it's one of the most culturally diverse cities in Germany, beside Berlin perhaps. Um, people from all over the world, especially from, from Central Asian countries and Arabic countries and, and Eastern Europe. And so there's a lot of refugees, we have a Ukrainian family now coming to our church, um, and we want to, how do we extend the gospel so that we can become the spiritual home where they can experience God's living water, the transformation of water into wine in their own lives, but in community. And in the last five years, too, we've also seen, the next slide, please, um, more teams venture out into other cities. Uh, so this is a picture of our multiplied German team. It says Europe, but it's actually just our German team. And... Uh, we, we were you know, sent to Dortmund, uh, but now we have a, a team in Magdeburg, which is beside Berlin, and now also another city called Essen. And five years ago, this team, this picture, would have been just about maybe eight people. Um, and in the last five years, I know the, the, the German churches that we're connected to uh, in Germany, they, they have just full of young people, and they, they want to give it a go. They just need a bit of an encouragement. <laughs> And I think our church functions as a bit of a catalyst, too, to just, hey, give it a go. Go out in faith. And now we have a, a team of like 10 people in, in uh, uh, Magdeburg and another team of about four to five people in Essen. And now the next uh, hope is to plant a church this next year in Potsdam, which is beside Berlin. And there's a vision to see a church planted every couple years. And so that's another part of my work. It's not just in Dortmund, but it's coming alongside these teams encouraging them. We train one another. We encourage one another. It's kind of a, the beginning of a church planting movement, you could say. And, uh, and now young people from these other established churches are coming to these mission locations to experience mission. And uh, it's really exciting. So we're training. We're training and discipling young people already in Dortmund um, on short-term mission and then sending them to other parts of Germany and also other parts of Europe. And it's really exciting. In conclusion, what do I do on a daily basis? How can we kind of sum up 
what it means for me to fill up the jars, to continue filling up the jars and going out to connect with people. And um, for me, what it means is connection, create, and call. And you can think about these principles in your own life right now, too. These, these for me, are, are not just principles or practices, things that I want to be engaged in on a daily basis and be thinking about as I am called under the command of Jesus to take this water into the public sphere with the hope that it will be transformed, that God will do some, some miracle. Um, what does it mean to connect with people? What does it mean to come alongside people, learn their language if necessary, learn their story, learn what, has, what, what things have shaped their lives? What are their hopes and dreams? What are their fears and anxieties? Just getting to know them and just loving people for who they are and where they are at. That is really the first thing. We, we're, we just do that. How do we love people? How do we connect with them? And honestly want to hear them. And not just, you know, um, it's not just all about what we bring, but what, you know, what do they bring to the relationship too. But in that process, it's also about creating. How do we then create bridges, connections to the story of scripture and to the gospel? How do we connect Jesus to their lives in genuine, authentic ways that bring transform, transformation? Part of doing that as well is just reflecting on how God has transformed you. What is your story? What have been your hopes and dreams? What are your fears and anxieties? How has God redeemed you? How have you experienced the transformation of the spirit in your life? The, the grace of God that covers our shame and removes our guilt because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, because of the new life in resurrection. And simply making the connection by just being authentic and just sharing your story. But then out of that too, having the courage to call, to call people to faith, to give the invitation to follow Jesus, to receive his grace. And are we at ready to make that call? Maybe there's people here this morning that want to make that decision, that response to the gospel. Maybe you have been moved by the message of God's generosity and extravagant love for you. And you want to experience that too, the deep love of the Father. God, God's love is available and present in Jesus. We can receive it. We can become who we are right now as we embrace Jesus? Or what does it mean to be called to call those in our lives who desperately need this message, who desperately need this rebirth in Christ? Who are the people that God has laid on your heart to go further and deeper in relationship and connection, to make the bridge of, the, of connecting their lives to the gospel with the hope that water will be transformed to wine, that God will make the move, that he will bring new life. I'll invite the, the band to come up at this time. And uh, I look forward to um, talking more during the lunchtime. And if you have more questions as the band comes up, I'll just say one thing that I'm trying to do in terms of connecting and creating and calling right now in the next phase of our ministry is a new project I'm initiating called the Pickaxe Project. And I can explain that more about this project um, over lunch. But essentially what I want to do is use the arts Music, I have a music background, writing, visual arts, um, public speaking, whatever it might be, sharing our story of faith in creative ways to connect with people in our city. And um, the pickaxe idea is really about breaking hard ground, 
the, the, the indifference to the gospel, the skepticism to the gospel, kind of breaking hard ground to create this kind of canal or a trench where the God's living water can flow through, preparing the soil for new life, breaking ground for new life. And it really has fits with this message of transformation. We want to see God's living water come transform so that new life can emerge in our city and beyond.